This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Accession of James the Second by Thomas Babington Macaulay. Chapter eight, part five. The nature of the academical system of England is such that no event which seriously affects the interests and honour of either university can fail to excite a strong feeling throughout the country. Every successive blow, therefore, which fell on Magdalen College was felt to the extremities of the kingdom. In the coffee-houses of London, in the inns of court, in the closes of all the cathedral towns, in parsonages and manor-houses scattered over the remotest shires, pity for the sufferers and indignation against the government went on growing. The protest of Huff was everywhere applauded, the forcing of his door was everywhere mentioned with abhorrence, and at length the sentence of deprivation fulminated against the fellows dissolved those ties once so close and dear which had bound the Church of England to the House of Stuart. Bitter resentment and cruel apprehension took the place of love and confidence. There was no prebendary, no rector, no vicar, whose mind was not haunted by the thought that, however quiet his temper, however obscure his situation, he might in a few months be driven from his dwelling by an arbitrary edict to beg in a ragged cassock with his wife and children, while his freehold, secured to him by laws of immemorial antiquity and by the royal word, was occupied by some apostate. This, then, was the reward of that heroic loyalty never once found wanting through the vicissitudes of fifty tempestuous years. It was for this that the clergy had endured spoliation and persecution in the cause of Charles I. It was for this that they had supported Charles II in his hard contest with the Whig opposition. It was for this that they had stood in the front of the battle against those who sought to despoil James of his birthright. To their fidelity alone their oppressor owed the power which he was now employing to their ruin. They had long been in the habit of recounting in acrimonious language all that they had suffered at the hand of the Puritan in the day of his power. Yet for the Puritan there was some excuse. He was an avowed enemy, he had wrongs to avenge, and even he, while remodelling the ecclesiastical constitution of the country, and ejecting all those who would not subscribe his covenant, had not been altogether without compassion. He had at least granted to those whose benefices he seized a pittance sufficient to support life. But the hatred felt by the king towards that church which had saved him from exile, and placed him on a throne, was not to be so easily satiated nothing but the utter ruin of his victims would content him. It was not enough that they were expelled from their homes and stripped of their revenues. They found every walk of life towards which men of their habits could look for a subsistence closed against them with malignant care, and nothing left to them but the precarious and degrading resource of arms. The Anglican clergy, therefore, and that portion of the laity which was strongly attached to Protestant episcopacy, 
now regarded the king with those feelings which injustice aggravated by ingratitude naturally excites. Yet had the churchman still many scruples of conscience and honour to surmount before he could bring himself to oppose the government by force. He had been taught that passive obedience was enjoined without restriction or exception by the divine law. He had professed this opinion ostentatiously. He had treated with contempt the suggestion that an extreme case might possibly arise which would justify a people in drawing the sword against regal tyranny. Both principle and shame therefore restrained him from imitating the example of the rebellious roundheads, while any hope of a peaceful and legal deliverance remained. And, such a hope might reasonably be cherished, as long as the Princess of Orange stood next in succession to the crown. If he would but endure with patience this trial of his faith, the laws of nature would soon do for him what he could not, without sin and dishonour, do for himself. The wrongs of the Church would be redressed, her property and dignity would be fenced by new guarantees, and those wicked ministers who had injured and insulted her in the day of her adversity would be signally punished. End of part five.